Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited to be in church on Sunday morning? We're so excited to have you here. My name is Yasmin. I'm one of the lead pastors here. It's so good to be here today. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. I've got a little word for the dads and the mamas today regarding Father's Day. But before we get there, we've got a few opportunities for you to get involved into the life of our church. First of all, today we kick off a brand new collection of talks, kicked off by four amazing speakers, like Ethan said, and it's called the Summer Mixtape. We're excited about that. We're going to mix things up for the summer. But then on July 9th, we've got a brand new collection of talks based on the book of Revelations. So for some of y'all that are into the end time, all of that, Mark of the Beast stuff, come and see what it's all about. Okay, and then following that on July 16th, listen, if you're praying for someone in your life, if you're not, you should be. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's your friend, family member, coworker. Summer block party is the best time to invite someone. Why? Because we're giving away free t-shirts. Yeah, who's excited about that? We've got stories upon stories. For Anytime you say free, everyone shows up doesn't matter what it is. But then we also have free ice cream. So that's going to be exciting. We love our desserts here at Bold Church. And now we're excited because we just kicked off groups here. Myself and Ethan are leading a group on Thursday nights called Rooted. So if you want to join the best group ever in the life of our church, it's going to be ours and not, you know, just shameless plug. I got it. I'm right here. So you got it. Yeah, you got to let we speak the truth. Okay. Hey, listen, we're so excited about today. I know that Father's Day sometimes is a tough time. And I want to acknowledge that because we're in a time in our culture where women are completely being erased in terms of gender ideology, but also the family unit is kind of being displaced. And I just want to shout out to all the men who show up, who are present, who are engaged, and who are willing to sacrifice their lives for the life of their children and their wives and people around them. There is nothing like a good, present father, because that's who God is, and we want to emulate the father in that. And I know I've been counseling girls for over 20 years now since I received Jesus. And the one thing that we always come upon is a daddy issue. And so to all of the women out there who have experienced that and all of the sons, the the guys who have experienced that, we just want to hold space for you for one moment and let you know that once you meet Jesus, you can change the trajectory of your life because of the example of God. And so, Lord, before we begin today, God, we just want to know you. We want to get to know you for anyone who's here, God, and has a father wound, God, of any kind. Maybe they have experienced an absent father. Maybe they have experienced an abusive earthly father. Show them, God, that every good gift comes from above, God, and that you are the good father. You are a faithful father, and that you give good gifts, Jesus. We want to honor you today, God. Draw us near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm excited today because we do this once or twice a year. We have leaders in the house. And let me tell you, this is not about who's going to give the best talk. 
This is about people who have stepped out, out of their comfort, and said, God has given me a word. I want to see what it's all about. But they're here because they lead by example in character and time. Yeah, we clap for that because what you see here on a Sunday morning is just a fraction. They lead by example Monday through Saturday. It is a lifestyle to be a Christ follower and even more to be a leader. And so God has given each and every one of them a word. Some of them are preachers, and we're just trying to fan the flame before they take over on a Sunday morning. And I'm going to introduce them one by one. So I want you to listen. I want you to support them, encourage them, because it's tough being up here if you're not here all the time. So we've got first, we've got Javier Rodriguez. You know him. He's a drummer. Go ahead. Take the mic. All right, Bold Church. How's everyone doing? Happy Father's Day. Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully there's a picture here of me and my wife. There you go. Daylin, she's awesome. She's rocking production. Um, so today I wanted to start with a question. Have any of you ever been in a season where you feel like, hey, I'm just kind of going through the motions? I'm like, I'm doing the thing, but not really, nothing's really happening. And um, what's crazy is I had something like this happen to me. It wasn't at work or school or, you know, trying to get fit and, like, going to the gym every day. It was actually at church. So what happened, a little backstory. I grew up in church. My aunt started taking me when I was four. Got baptized when I was eight. I received Christ. Grew up in church. I had family in the church. So everything's good so far. But what ended up happening is I got to a point in my life where I was just kind of checking off a checklist, kind of just going through it. Like, I mean, this is what we do, right? So, about 10 years ago, I was in a band with my wife, um, her sister, and one of our friends, and we all just liked music, and there was an opportunity to play at church, so we're like, hey, let's play at church. So we were like, we practiced for like two weeks, this one song, How He Loves, by David Crowder. Um, back then, it was a rager, so we're like, oh, like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm like, this is going to be sick. So, we practiced it, played like a thousand times, we're like, okay, it sounds good, probably didn't, but Sunday comes, game day. We're up there, and then first, like, second lyric or whatever in the song, like, first verse. Um, His love's like a hurricane, I am the tree. I don't know what happened, but it just wrecked me. Like, I couldn't finish the song. I was in tears. It was a mess. I was like, oh, God. Like, so I got off stage, and, you know, I just had an encounter with God. Like, the Holy Spirit came. It was awesome. So the next day, I pursued God full throttle. Like, it was crazy. Not really. What happened is I went back to my comfort, the lifestyle I knew. Yes, I'm reading the Bible because I have to check this little mark here. Am I praying? Yes. So you'd think I, I just had an encounter with God. I would go, like, pursue him, but it didn't happen. So has this happened to you? Maybe you came at the beginning of the year. We had an awesome conference. Friday, Saturday, Sunday it was fire. But then Monday came, and you were like, oh, okay, well. Yesterday was pretty cool, but I mean, today's Monday, and now it's Tuesday, and this is what I do. So why does this happen? You think you're the only one? Let me break it to you. Probably not. I'm pretty sure we've all been there, but biblically, let's look at a person who went through something like this, and I'll give you a brief history. His name is King Solomon, wisest guy ever. His dad was the worship leader, wrote two-thirds of the Psalms. He killed a bear and a lion. He killed Goliath, and we sing about it, and it's like, oh, awesome. David, 
King Solomon had a genie moment with God, like Aladdin. It's like, hey, anything you want, I'll give it to you. So he's like, hey, yeah, like, give me a million bucks so I can afford to live here in San Jose. No. He asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, which was crazy. So we know, okay, his dad was into church. Awesome. He grew up in church. He became super wise. So if we go to 1 Kings, it should be up on the screen, yeah. Let's read. King Solomon was obsessed with woman. Pharaoh's daughter was only the first of the many foreign women he loved. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite. He took them from the surrounding pagan nations of which God had clearly warned Israel. You must not marry them. They'll seduce you into infatuations with their gods. Solomon fell in love with them anyway, refusing to give them up. He had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines, right? Crazy, a thousand women total, and they seduced him away from God. As Solomon grew older, his wives beguiled him with their alien gods, and he became unfaithful. He didn't stay true to his God, his father, like David had done. So that's crazy. He became obsessed with women. And maybe you're like, okay, like, how is that a bad thing? I mean, I have a wife. She's awesome. But when you start placing other things above God, that's when we start having an issue. And like we, like I said, he grew up in church. His dad was a, you know, like the worship leader. He was awesome. So it's easy to be here on a Sunday, you know, look fresh, look good, say hi to everyone. But what happens Monday? Is it easy to be around God on Monday when there's no one else there? So we see here Solomon was wise. He asked for wisdom. God gave it to him. But you could still be wise and love other things more than God. And I think many of us find ourselves in that position. We're like, hey, you know, I have a degree. I run a successful business. I have a PhD. I have a good shoulder on my head. God, I think I know better. I know you said not to do this. This is going to be bad for me, but I can handle myself. I can take care of it. So what Solomon started doing, and it says it here and implies, you know, King Solomon was obsessed with the woman. Pharaoh was only the first. So it wasn't like an overnight thing. It was something that happened gradually. Compromise here, compromise there. Hey, no one's looking. So we see that, you know, he started compromising, putting other things above God. And what happened here is um, he didn't really have like a spiritual problem, really. I think it was more of a love problem. He loved other things more than God. So what is the solution for us here? If we go to Revelations 2, it says here, I see what you've done, your hard work, your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil, that you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause that you never wear out. Hey, I know you're going to church on Sunday. I know you're serving. I know you're giving. I know morally you're like in the right headspace. But you walked away from your first love. So church, for me, that's what happened. Hey, I had an opportunity to play music at church. Let's do it. I started like pursuing my passion for music more than God. And to be honest, if it would have been an opportunity to play at a bar, I would have taken it. Like It was just about playing. So the solution here, turn back, recover your dear early love. 
So church, if you find yourself going through the motions, you're like, hey, like, I feel like I'm not really growing. You know, I'm just kind of checking off everything. Maybe it's time we go back to our first love. Maybe you got to step back and reevaluate, hey, is there something in my life that I'm pursuing more than God? Could be your career. We live in an expensive area. Makes sense. Hey, I want to have a six-figure salary. I want to own a home. Could be something that maybe you don't even think is bad. Could be your family, your kids. Oh, I can't go to church on Sunday because that's when we have games for the kids. I can't do it on Tuesday. I can't join a group because, well, that's when we have soccer practice or whatever it may be. Not necessarily a bad thing, but again, when we do start pursuing other things above God, it could pull us away. So, practical thing that helped me, and I'm sure it'll help you guys, and perfect timing, we have groups that just opened up. So, what you can do, hey, I feel like I'm just going through it, get in community. You can be with people who are going to surround you and, hey, encourage you. I don't feel like doing this. Well, you know, there's going to be people that are going to encourage you to be obedient, to do it anyways. People that can, hey, biblically stand behind you and like, hey, this is what the word of God says. And encourage you in your journey as you, you know, grow more. So that is what I had for today for you guys. I hope it's encouraging. I will pass it over to Mari. Good job, Javi. Yeah, you can give it up. It's, it's nerve-wracking being up here if you're not used to it. Javi, you did awesome. Uh, next, we have Mari Sanchez, if you know her. She, she leads our welcome team. She is one of the team leads along with her husband. Mari, take it away. What's up, church? Let's give it up for Javi one more time. That was so good and so timely. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We see you. We honor you today and every day. If, you, if we don't know each other, my name is Mari, and I have the honor and privilege not only of sharing a message with you today, but of serving on the leadership team here at Bold. And um, there should be a picture. Oh, here's my beautiful family. I, this hot guy here is my husband sitting right here in the front row. And we have three beautiful kids. Yes, I said three. <laughs> I know that's forbidden in Silicon Valley. It's like two is the max, that's it. And so a lot of people get like a, a concerned face for us when I say three, and I always say, don't worry. We're exhausted, but we love it. <laughs> um, and so the, our kids, Mila is nine, who's also here in the front row, um, and Zayden is three, and our just-turned-one-year-old Cameron. And so any parents in the house here today? Okay, a few of you. So some of you will understand that when you go to these appointments to get your checkups monthly when you're pregnant, there is a degree of nervousness and excitement. Like... I hope everything's gonna be okay, but also I get to hear or see my baby, right? So I wanna share a story with you guys about Cameron, our just turned one-year-old. Uh, when I was pregnant with him, I had my anatomy scan. This is at your 20-week mark. 
midway through your pregnancy, you're scheduled for this scan, and what it is is an ultrasound, and it's measuring all of the baby's organs, the extremities, just to make sure that the baby is growing the way that the baby should. And so as I was getting ready for this appointment, I was, this is my third time, you know, like third go around, like this is just routine, we're just getting it over with. And when I was in the appointment, you know, I was just laying there and the tech was with the ultrasound, doing the ultrasound, and she kept on one area and she kept taking picture after picture after picture after picture. And I started to feel like I was so concerned, like something was wrong. So I asked her, is everything okay? And she says, the doctor will be right in to talk to you. And so the doctor comes in and she lets us know that I have a condition called velamentous cord insertion. And she says, this isn't rare, but it's not common. Only 1% of women are diagnosed with this. And what it is, is the mother's umbilical cord connects to the placenta, and then the baby's umbilical cord connects to the placenta. And through the placenta is where the baby gets the oxygen, the food, the nutrients that the baby needs from the mom. And so in my condition, my umbilical cord was not connected to the placenta. It was connected to the bag of waters. And so the doctor was very frank with me. And she, looked, she said, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. How is the baby going to get the nutrients, right? Um, the ex life expectancy was low. But she said, we'll have to follow up every two weeks. And so... We left. We left the office and we left just torn, in tears, full of fear, full of doubt. And I wonder, have you ever experienced anything like this? Maybe it wasn't my situation, but maybe it was you have the best job ever and you got laid off. Or maybe you were engaged and so excited and your fiance was unfaithful. Or maybe... You quit your job to start the dream business and it didn't pan out. Or maybe you were pregnant and you had a miscarriage. Let's see what God has to say about the solution to our problems. I'll be reading from Matthew 17, verse 14 through 20. But before I read that, I want to give you some context of what happened before these verses. It says in scripture that Jesus took his disciples, Peter, James, and John. This was his inner circle. They were part of the 12 disciples, but these were like his besties. And he takes them to a high mountain, um, scripture says, and he revealed all of his glory to them. What does that mean? He showed that these disciples saw that Jesus was God in human form. How amazing is that? So as this mountaintop experience is done, they're walking down the mountain, and as they're approaching town, a man runs up to Jesus, begging him on his knees, asking him to cast out a demon that's in his son. And so we arrive here. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
I want to pause for a second. Jesus sounds almost frustrated. Why was Jesus frustrated? His disciples had seen so many miracles by this point. They were given the authority to cast out demons in Jesus' name. They literally had just been in a mountaintop experience where if they had any doubt, that should have solidified things for them. So I wonder, did it all become ordinary to them? Did they start believing in themselves more than in the power of God? Why couldn't these disciples cast out this demon? Let's continue. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. The boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. Say it with me. Little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Amen. Amen. Jesus says all they needed was, the si- was faith the size of a mustard seed. Have you seen a mustard seed? It's this tiny. That's how tiny of a faith Jesus wanted his disciples to have. We're note-takers in this house, so write this down. It's the object of our faith that matters, not the size of our faith. You see, many interpret that text to mean that if we eliminate our doubts, we can grow our faith even to the point of moving mountains, when in actuality, the mountain represents something standing in the way of the kingdom purposes of God. In the Old Testament, mountains represented an obstacle, The focus is not on having enough faith in what we want. That's not it. The focus is on submitting to the kingdom purposes of God and allowing God to use us as the vessel for those purposes. We as believers have the authority to remove what stands in the way of the purposes of God. For me, I had to pray I had to ask God, God, what is standing in the way of your kingdom purposes in my life, Lord? I didn't, the Holy Spirit gave me revelation. I didn't fully trust God with my situation. My mountain was fear. So my question to you is, what's your mountain? Is it fear like me? Or perhaps pride? Maybe it's addiction? Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's lack of teachability or humility. Maybe it's a relationship. Getting home from the doctor's appointment felt crippling. Filled with fear and doubt, I cried out to God. And the Holy Spirit reminded me to fix my eyes on Jesus. And not only that, the Holy Spirit challenged me to double down on Jesus. D-D-O-J. Say it with me. (laughs) D-D-O-J. It didn't matter what our situation was, what the doctors were saying, what the scans were saying, what my emotions were telling me. I needed to fix my eyes on Jesus. I needed to remove the mountain which was fear for me. I needed to keep my focus on my faith in Jesus. As terrified as I was, I chose to double down on Jesus, D-D-O-J. I realized it's the object of my faith that matters, not the size. 
I prayed to God on my knees sobbing, God, my faith may be small in this moment, but it's all in you, Lord. And worshiping him, telling him I wanted his will over my own. Fully understanding what that could mean. But I declared he would still be good no matter the outcome. Through this season, something shifted in my faith. Something shifts in us when we're in a state of desperation. It's our choice whether it's going to be towards fear or towards faith. I chose faith and decided to walk in a posture of joy and peace that can only come from Jesus. But the equal miracle was what he did in my heart. Look at this picture of our big guy. (laughs) He was the biggest baby to date, almost nine pounds. Won't he do it? Okay. The doctors kept, they were marveled. They did not understand how this was happening, why this was happening. The doctor's literal words were, we do not know how this is happening, but we won't question it. And they didn't have the words to say it, but I do. His name is Jesus, and we serve a miracle-working God. Amen. You see, having faith in God means trusting God to do what God is calling you to do regardless of what you feel. This is not mind over matter equals faith. Jesus is addressing the heart, not the mind. He wants us to trust in him regardless of what is happening or isn't happening. Do you trust God is good regardless of the outcome? Let me encourage you today, church. You don't have to fear. He is faithful. He's a promise keeper. He is enough. He has never failed. He is a way maker. God is good yesterday, today, and all the days to come. Let's give God a shout of praise this morning. Come on. Amen. And maybe you're thinking, well, good for you, Maddie, that you had this faith, (laughs) but you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how hard life is for me right now, but I want you to see something. You can have strong faith. You see, this is what growing in our faith is so important, growing in our intimacy with God, being discipled, serving at your local church, going to bold groups is essential. Javi saying that, Pastor Yasmin saying that is not about join a group. We need you. We want to recruit. This is about changing lives. We need to mature in our faith so when adversity hits our life, we are rooted in Jesus and we can't be shaken. I used to be led by my emotions. I used to live overwhelmed. I used to run to alcohol and weed. I lived with crippling anxiety. But I learned I learned to actively practice my faith step by step. I learned to identify my mountains. Every obstacle became an opportunity to grow my faith. It was a choice, a hard one, but I had to choose my heart, a heart that would lead to darkness and anxiety or a heart that would lead to light and hope. If God can transform my heart, he can certainly do it for you, and he wants to. So as I wrap up, I want to encourage you a little further. Choose Jesus. Better yet, double down on Jesus. Say it with me, D-D-O-J. And watch what he does in your heart and your life. Thank you. Mari, I should have trademarked my double down on Jesus. You came out with a whole acronym on it. That's fine. It's all right. It's all right. 
Church, that was awesome. Uh, let me attest. Let me attest real quick because we as pastors get a back seat behind the scene view to all of these things. Mari was leading at the time. She did not allow this thing to throw her down. And I can, I can genuinely say that at a time where she would allow any little thing to throw her off and her emotions to go skyrocket, she chose to double down on wow. Jesus. Yeah. And so that's a testament because sometimes you hear me or my husband say it, and it's like, yeah. But when you hear other people say it, yeah. it's real life. People go through life. We have life. And we choose to double down on Jesus. That's the difference. And so give it up for one of my favorite preachers of both church, Sarah Goodheil. She's one of the team leads here. Take it away, Sarah. Thank you, Pastor Yasmin. And thank you, Mari, for sharing that. Can we give it up for her one more time? That was a lot. That was amazing. I am so excited to be here this morning. I'm honored that I get to share with you what God has put on my heart this last year. And I'm ready. I'm excited. Like Pastor Yaz said, my name is Sarah. I'm one of the leads here at Bull Church. I'm married to Ethan. He is the worship director. And our family grew by one this year. That's little Levi. He's going to be seven months old this week, which is just insane to think about. But this last year, I, Ethan and I are so thankful we have been part of this bold community. It has been a year of stretching for us, becoming parents. It's been a year of struggles that I've had, just learning to be a mom, navigating it. Also, a working mom on top of that as well. And I had some pretty low moments, some moments I felt too stretched, holding ministry, my job, being a mom. Lord, how do I do it all? What does that look like? Where is the solution to my problem? And what I would love to share with you this morning actually started out as a prayer for my son before he was born. And it's actually become something I've leaned on the last year. It has helped me, it's encouraged me, and I want to share it with you today because I hope it does the same for you as well. But before we get started, I got to give a little bit of background because the verse I'm sharing is Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And it's a beautiful verse, it's descriptive. However, when it's being said, God is not in the greatest mood, okay? That's just to put it lightly. There is tension in these words. The atmosphere is uneasy. And the reason why is because God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah, he is called and commissioned by God to tell the people of Judah that the end of an era is coming. They've been disobeying God. They've been worshiping idols for generations. And God has had enough. He's actually removing his covenant with his people, okay? He's beyond frustrated. Later, he does renew it. Good news. That comes in chapter 31. But in chapter 17, God is having this conversation with the prophet Jeremiah, okay? The, the tension is thick. Have you ever seen from across the way two people talking? You don't even need to know the topic. It's heated, <laughs> right? Like, that's happened to me at work. I've been walking around the corner before, and a coworker, they were just staring at each other, and I was like... Let me just find somewhere else to be. I could reach out and touch the tension. And that's where we find ourselves. I'm going to back up two verses, starting at verse 5. This is what the Lord said: says, Curse is the man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. 
They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. This desert is not like Palm Springs with like cute art deco houses. You don't want to be here, church, okay? Someone say, but. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And that is what I want to share with you this morning, church. I want to encourage you that whether you are going through a life transition, a struggle, even a hardship, that you would choose to put your confidence, you would choose to put your trust in God. Trust God in the transition. Amen? So let's lean into verse 8 together. We take notes here at church, just like Maddie said. You guys don't really have an excuse. I know they put a pen on your seat. Like, I know it's there. You even got the notes app, right? So let's go. (laughs) The first thing I want to highlight to you with verse 8, when you choose to put your trust and your confidence in God, is that you will be able to withstand the heat. You can say, I can withstand the heat. That's right. The first part of verse 8 reads, they will be like a tree planted in the water, planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. Someone say when. When. That's the word that we should focus on. Because it's not if heat comes, it's when heat comes. And as believers in Christ, we need to expect struggles, the hardships, it's gonna come in our life. And the heartbreaking thing is that we cannot bypass it, we can't skip it. We can't go around it. We, we have to endure it. That's the heartbreaking thing. And I know some of us in this room know that too well, whether it's job-related or family-related or fill-in-the-blank, right? But I think that what we need to remind ourselves of is that Scripture does not skip over this topic. It actually addresses it head-on. In John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I don't want, I'm not saying this lightly. I understand the heaviness that comes with struggles will happen in your life. But what sets us apart as believers in Christ is how we approach it, right? Our perspective in it. That we acknowledge that, yes, although these are my circumstances, I know that God's sovereignty over my situation is higher than my knowledge could ever be, right? How encouraging is it that when we know that he is coming like the imagery of this tree, we don't have to let the fear consume us to the port of hopelessness. Amen. The second thing I want to point out in verse 8, when we put our trust and confidence in God is, I will not entertain my worries. The verse continues, it, meaning the tree, it has no worries in the year of drought. Someone once told me that when you worry about something, it's like you're sitting in a rocking chair. Feels like you're doing something about it, but in reality, you're not going anywhere. Different versions of this verse include never concerned, never anxious. Notice the verse doesn't say the tree never feels worry. Like We can acknowledge that, absolutely. If you are struggling with something or going through a hardship, yes, you will feel worry. Yes, you will be anxious. I can attest to that in many moments this past year of those um, concerned feelings. But what I want to challenge you this morning is when you feel that way, 
does your response reflect confidence in God? When those moments come up, does your trust in him reflect that, or do you let your mind run with it? Does it become all-consuming to you? There is a phrase that if you've been coming to Bold for a while, you've heard of this. Um, This is not something that we want to just say for fun or we think it's cute, but we want to apply it to our lives, and that is we want to make prayer our first response. I'll be very transparent. My first couple years coming here, prayer was not my first response. But I'll tell you, when I made it my first response, things shift, right? My, one of my favorite verses is in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And church, when you are worried, when you start to feel those anxious thoughts, those concerned, we can go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. We can go to him and acknowledge, yes, this is what I'm feeling, but I'm choosing to to have confidence in you despite of it, right? I love that part. And then the last part of verse 8 that I want to highlight to you is, I will bear fruit, I will bear fruit. The way the verse ends says, their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And I love that because in this imagery of the tree, it's going through hardship, right? It's in the year of drought. And it doesn't just survive, it produces fruit. That phrase, produce fruit, bearing fruit, that's talked about in scripture and that actually represents something. Producing fruit represents a godly life or virtues of character, right? It's the inward process that's been happening. It's the end result that you see. And I love that verse 8 acknowledges this. Producing fruit sometimes isn't an overnight thing, though, right? When you are walking through something that doesn't just happen the next day when you decide to trust in God. Um, Besides Sundays, I am a first grade teacher Monday through Friday. And just like any other job, I have struggles with my job, whether it's parent emails or drama in the class. Yes, first graders have drama. It's surprising, but it happens. And there's another struggle where I think you might be surprised that I have a really hard time with. And that's if the school has some sort of like class garden. Like, I don't like plants. And for some reason, that's really emphasized, like, Like, I love people who love plants. Like, you guys can love plants and talk about it with the dirt and the flies. And, like, I just got these done. Like, I'm not trying to be a part of that. I really don't understand it. So at the beginning of the school year when my vice principal was like, listen, you got to use the class garden box. I was like, okay, let's plant carrots, I guess. I don't know. But the cool thing is that I got actually excited by it because I saw my students get excited right? They got to plant something. And really gardening indirectly teaches kids discipline. Like they have to cultivate something and keep going back without seeing the end result, which can be hard. In fact, some of my students struggled with that. We planted them and they said, Miss G, I want to go see my carrot. I'm ready. I'm like, buddy, that's not how it works. Okay. The carrot's not going to spring up overnight. And that's what I want to remind you and encourage you that in a season of hardship and struggle, Producing fruit, bearing fruit is not an overnight thing. Making that choice day in and day out, you probably won't see the result of it the next day. And for me this last year in that struggle where I found moments where, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to do all of this. Sometimes for me it looked like 
getting up regardless of getting a couple hours of sleep and spending 10 minutes in his word. Sometimes it looked like, you know, I just want to zone out on my commute. But instead of being still before him, because that's where I could find time. Whatever that might look like for you, I want to encourage you today to put in the work. Because when you choose to trust God, when you choose to have confidence in him, you are going to produce fruit. Not because it's just a natural reaction of a tree. It's exceptional because it's done by God alone. That is the difference, right? You didn't just get through that season. No, look at me now. God's got me in that season. It's a different, it's a different mindset. So my final words to you is to put your confidence and trust in God this morning, church. No matter what your circumstances might be. Because when you make that choice, it's not just gaining reassurance. It's having the assurance and the experience that you are being guarded and protected by the gracious Lord of life. Thank you, church. Woo! Yeah. You've got a tough act to follow, Ethan. She's good. She's very good. Let's go. <laughs> All right, last but not, certainly not least. No, 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 of course not. No, is our worship director, Ethan Gutheil. Have your way. Let's go. What's up, everybody? I'm excited to not be singing at you, but to be talking at you for a little bit. And as the worship director, oh, first, yes, that was my beautiful wife. There's, there's a picture of our family again, if you wanted to see it again. Um, I'm excited to talk about worship. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk about it because I feel like a lot of times we don't understand why. Why are we worshiping? Why, when you walk up here, do we have the amazing-looking musicians and vocalists up here on stage? Not me, the other ones. Why do we have them on stage? Why are we playing loud music? Why are we getting you to clap? Why are we, are we just setting up the sermon? Are we just kind of like teeing off the sermon? Are we trying to get you guys awake with coffee? Are we, are we trying to provide a buffer of time so that you don't miss any of the sermon? Biblical worship is much, much more, and we are going to dive into what it is. Let's go. But... First, I want to give you guys some background so you understand that this message is not coming from a place of judgment. I, I did not fully understand what worship was, what biblical worship is, and I was leading people in it. Uh, in high school, I went to a private Christian high school in Seattle, Washington. Go Seahawks. And uh, <laughs> don't boo me. That's my stuff. And I joined the worship class. There was a class for worship. So I joined the class. That was my first experience leading worship. But to be honest, a lot of my motivation, and I wouldn't have said this at the time, but looking back, I'm like, yeah, you're an idiot. A lot of my motivation was just to be seen. To be honest, a lot of my motivation was just to be recognized for my talents. Um, part of the reason I even started playing guitar as opposed to my first instrument, which was trumpet. I was in the high school <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> my first instrument was trumpet in fourth grade through high school. And I, start, you know, I thought, if I want some female attention, I don't know if trumpet is the, uh, is the best avenue to go down. So I started learning guitar in high school, and clearly it worked. I got my wife here. Only married me because of my musical abilities. Um, so let's, let's get started. That's, that's where I started from, so no judgment here. 
this is what I've learned about worship, and I want to communicate it to you guys. I heard a simple definition of worship from the late, great Tim Keller, uh, and it's this. To worship something is to express love for it. To worship something is to express love for it. And you'll notice that all humans do worship. Like, we are created to worship. It's just, what do you worship is the question. Um, And if worshiping something is to express love to it, and we want to worship God, how does God want us to express love to him? Because for those of you that are in relationships, you know that even if you want to express love to your partner in a certain way, but they don't want to receive it in that way, then it's not really effective, right? You, as you grow in your relationship, you learn what the other person, what's their love language, how they want to receive love. Um, and luckily for us, God gives us a list of instructions, of commands, of how he wants to be worshipped. I don't know if we realize that. There is biblical worship. He gives us a list. This list comes from the Psalms. It comes from uh, King David. You guys know King David. He slayed uh, Goliath. He was a warrior. You guys probably know he was a musician as well. Um, You might not know that he established 24-7 praise and worship at his tabernacle. He established 24-7 praise and worship. He had a rotation of worship leaders that would lead worship. The tabernacle, for those of you that don't know, was like a big tent that housed God's presence, that housed the Ark of the Covenant. That, that's where Israel would worship, was at the tabernacle. So you could go there anytime. Think of that all-night uh, prayer and worship night we had a couple months ago, the 24-7. That was happening all the time. Uh, the tribe of Levites, the tribe of Levi were the worship leaders, which is part of the reason why we named our son Levi, if you're wondering, uh, were the ones that were leading worship. And you could go anytime. David himself, as I think Javi mentioned, David wrote two-thirds of the psalm himself during this period of time. And the other remaining third were written by the Levites, except for a couple by Solomon. And here are the commands that we see from God of how to worship him. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Clap your hands. Lift up your hands. Bow down. Give thanks. Magnify his name. Shout to God. Shout joyfully with loud songs. Not quiet songs. Interesting. Dance, kneel, and praise the Lord with instruments. All of these are commands. They're not suggestions. They're commands of how to praise God. And if we believe that the tabernacle of David is fulfilled in the church, which we do. Don't have time to get into that today. Then you know that this should be happening in church today. And in a lot of churches, unfortunately, it's not. I think we've kind of lost the definition of biblical worship, the why of biblical worship. Um, And if this sermon is kind of convicting you, that's okay. It's the Holy Spirit, not me, convicting you of what biblical worship should look like. I want to speak 